Hello and welcome to today's episode of the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast, where it is my job to help leaders like you to prioritize your happiness, health, and relationships while making your biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. And if this is your very first episode, I want to say welcome, super excited to have you here. And if you're returning, welcome back. I appreciate you so much for showing up every single week to listen to all this incredible content that is being shared by the guests that come on this show. Uh, But whether you are new or returning, today we have a special treat because we get to hang out with a good friend of mine, Dr. Benjamin Hardy. In 2018, Ben and his wife, Lauren, adopted three kids from the foster system. A month after the adoption, Lauren became pregnant with twins, also born in 2018. In 2020, they had their sixth child, Rex. Dr. Benjamin Hardy is an organizational psychologist and the author of Willpower Doesn't Work and Personality Isn't Permanent. He's also co-authored Who Not How with Dan Sullivan, which sold over 120,000 copies in the first four months of publication. Their second book together, The Gap and the Gain, was published in October of 2021. His blogs have been read by over 100 million people and are featured on Harvard Business Review, The New York Times, Forbes, Fortune, CNBC, and many others. For several years, he was the number one most read writer on Medium.com. And in this episode, you're going to learn so much, but I want you to look out for three specific things. Number one, how Ben went from feeling lost and alone as he played World of Warcraft for thousands of hours and lived on his cousin's couch to eventually becoming the number one writer on Medium.com, a successful author and entrepreneur, marrying the girl of his dreams, Lauren, and then having six kids together. Number two, what all confidently say is actually the most powerful and practical concept I've ever heard on the topic of happiness and fulfillment, the gap and the gain. And pretty much everything that psychologists know about how to create a high functioning and successful person can be found in this concept, the gap and the gain. And I was actually at a networking event the other day where they asked if you could immediately master a skill and have that capacity for the rest of your life, what would you want that skill set to be? And my answer to that question was actually to stay in the gain and not the gap. And so you'll kind of figure out more of what that actually means later on. But I think this concept is very important. I have the main graphic from this book printed out and sitting on my desk because it's something that I think can absolutely transform your life if you're implementing it consistently. And number three, specific strategies for you to increase your happiness and fulfillment as a leader. And we dive into some very specific strategies that you can use like mental subtraction, the experience transformer, and persuasion. So be on the lookout for all those in today's interview. But before we dive into the interview, I want to give a pre-show listener shout out, which goes to Casey236, who left a review on Apple Podcasts saying, consider me inspired from episode one. This podcast sounds polished and is easy to follow. I love the wide variety of super quality guests. This is a must have for anyone interested in human hacks. My personal opinion is that this podcast will be amongst the greats sooner rather than later. So thank you so much for the kind words, KC236. And if you're a returning listener and you haven't left a review yet, if you're brand new, don't worry about this yet. Just listen to the show. But if you're returning, you can head to ratethispodcast.com slash 7FM. And that's going to show you exact instructions on how to leave a review depending on where you're listening to this, depending on which app you're using. I know there's different instructions for each app. Uh, So that's ratethispodcast.com com slash 7fm and that's going to show you how to do that and if you choose to do that not only will it make my day i read every single review but it'll also help other people to discover the show so all of that can be done again at rate this podcast.com slash 7fm so with all of that said please enjoy this incredible conversation that will help you to increase your happiness and fulfillment with my friend dr benjamin hardy if you had to pick between a making a ton of money 
B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Bigger Millennials Podcast. Dr. Benjamin Hardy, my friend. So good to see you. Welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here, man. Absolutely. No, you're you're a great man, Brandon. I, I've, I love you, and I'm stoked to be on your podcast. Thank you so much. And I wanted to give everyone listening some context. Um, so Ben and I first met in April 2018, and I have my my copy of Willpower Doesn't Work, and I know it was April 26, 2018, because I have the, the the date that you put in there. But I know uh, I was at a Genius Network meeting. I sat down, and to my right, I had Kevin Thompson. And to the left, they do like arranged seating at Genius Network. And Ben sat right to my left. I was like, oh, man, I get to sit next to Benjamin Hardy on my very first meeting. And I just wanted to start by thanking you, Ben, because you've had a, such a massive impact on my life, starting with Willpower Doesn't Work, teaching me about force, forcing functions environment engineering. And that, that went down to like the way I changed my phone, the way that I eliminated distractions to my computer, to, to broader things. And it's even expanded into my family. My dad has been inspired by your work. And I texted him before I recorded and he says he's been journaling for 402 days as a result of some of the stuff you've done. So I just wanted to take a second and appreciate you, man. And uh, just say how grateful I am that we get to hang out and have a recorded conversation to share with everyone. So <laughs> okay, so let's let's take a second to set things up. So I wanted to start with some context as to who you are before we dive into The Gap and the Gain, which is your newest book, The High Achiever's Guide to Happiness, Confidence, and Success, which I highly recommend. And I was trying to think, where do I start with Ben Hardy, like the guy that's written all these articles, all this stuff. So um, there's an article you wrote a long time ago, uh, and you've done a YouTube video on it. It says, these 20 pictures will teach you more than reading 100 books. Um, and some context behind that is if you go into Ben's office, which he has behind him right now, or in Genius, there's a company called Gaping Void that kind of synthesizes these information and creates cartoons that has uh, representation of really powerful knowledge. And um, you've done some TED Talks, you've written some books based on these topics. And one of them that I thought would be a good highlight to show kind of where you've been and also highlight a really powerful concept is one of the culture wall things that you have that is good timber does not grow with ease. So I would love to start kind of right around when I met you actually, 2017, 2018. I know that was a crazy few years for you, but would you mind sharing a little bit about what was going on in your life at that particular moment? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So did you say we met, did you say April of 2018? April, 2018. Yeah. Okay. So I'll just give the context of where I was at in April of 2018. <laughs> I think that's a great <laughs> place to start. So in April of 2018, I was actually fried as a person because the month before that in March of 2018 is when willpower doesn't work came out. So that was my first major book. Launching a first book is, is gnarly, uh, especially because I had big aspirations for that. I will say that I was in the gap. When you met me, I was probably in depression, even though you might not have noticed that because the book wasn't as successful as I thought it could have, would have, should have been. And so I was deeply in the gap for a few months after that launch. Um, but in February of 2018, so two months before you and I met, we adopted our three foster kids, you know? So we adopted those kids who we were essentially fighting the foster care system for, for over three years. So it was a three-year long battle all throughout my PhD. And then in February of 2018, the laws in South Carolina changed. We were able to adopt 
these three incredible kids that we'd been, you know, raising essentially for the last few years. So February, we adopt the kids. March, willpower doesn't work, comes out also in March. My wife gets pregnant with twins, which are then born in December of that same year. And so 2018 was was an intense year. We adopted three kids, had twins. So we went from zero to five. I launched my first major book. We moved here to Orlando. Uh, And then the next year, you know, I finished my PhD. And then since then, I've continued to publish, you know, more and more books. But that's kind of, uh, that's kind of where I'm at when you and I met. Yeah. Okay. So let's back up and zoom in a little bit in there. Cause I know you tell this really powerful story in your Ted talk about specifically a story about this guy that was stuck in the woods. Um, and, and he was able to get out by putting timber in the back of his truck. So I would love for you to tell that story. Um, and then also if you could highlight a little bit more about the experience of adopting these, these foster kids and, and kind of like what the background they came from and kind of how that tied into willpower doesn't work in the environment that you switch them into. Totally. Totally. I will say real quick, if I would, if I, if I could change the title now, um, the title, the, the original title of that book was actually called the proximity effect. That's how I sold the book. We changed it to willpower doesn't work. If I could adjust the title, because I actually think it's a more accurate title, I would have called the book rapid evolution because from my standpoint, things evolve based on adapting to the environment and uh, like, if you want to rapidly evolve, it's obviously about engineering, you know, the right types of situational factors, um, such as like tight deadlines, you know, being around certain types of people. But, um, okay. So the question was, sorry, I went, oh, yeah, I no, 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 I got it. I got it. I, yeah, no, I got it. So I'll tell the story real quick of the person with the, with the truck and the trees. And then I'll talk about my kid's background. Yeah, no, I think it's a great, I think it's a great connection. Um, yes, yeah, so this is a story I actually got from, David Bednar. David Bednar is like a, I think he was an organizational behaviorist, also kind of more of a religious leader. So I, I learned the story first just from him. But basically the story is that there was a, a person, you know, young man, you know, who knows how old he was in his twenties, you could say, and he bought a brand new pickup truck. This was before the age of cell phones, but he wanted to test out his brand new pickup truck. And so he wanted to go up into the mountains, you know, let's just assume this is somewhere in like Colorado or something like that, where there's tons of mountains. It's in the winter, there's tons of snow big, like big mountains. And so he goes up to, goes up to just test the truck and ends up getting stuck in the snow up in the mountains. Like he's just driving and he peels out and he's stuck. And this is actually based on a true story. Uh, I just don't know all the facts about the person, but anyways, what happened was, is he didn't have a phone and it's starting to get dark. He's peeled out already. He's tried to do everything he can to get out of the snow and he can't get out and there's no one driving by for a while. He was just waiting for cars to come by. Maybe someone could help pull him out. And ultimately what happened was he just kind of felt impressed that he should get out and just start chopping wood and throwing it back in the car, uh, back in, in the back of like the truck. And so that's basically what he did. And he was just hoping at some point someone would show up, but no one did. And so he just started chopping down a tree, cutting it up. I think he had a chainsaw and then he was just throwing the wood back in the back of the truck. And once the truck was full, a few hours later, no one had come. He didn't really know what to do. And so he just got in the car and was just sitting there. And, you know, he actually did, I think in the story, it did say he said a prayer, but basically it was just like, what the heck do I do? And he just kind of got the idea, turn on the car and try to back out. And pretty much he turned on the car and all of a sudden he was able to literally back out because there was traction because of the weight of the wood, like the weight of the wood it was, you know, 
of probably a big tree. I mean, the whole back of the truck was full, but he was able to back out because there was enough pressure so that the tires could get traction and move out. And so, you know, the main idea here is, is that sometimes you don't have enough traction. You don't have enough weight or responsibility to actually get the traction you need. And, um, I connected that idea with myself, with my foster kids, probably I could connect it with them as well, that in their prior environment, there was just no, there was no pressure, like good pressure. Like they literally didn't even go to school. Their parents were high on drugs. And so they were just in the middle of nowhere in a trailer park doing nothing. Certainly when they came into our environment, there was higher demands, you know, like we took them to school, but there was also enormously more support. We would take them to like, we got them into sports. We got them psychologists, you know, they, they were, you know, they had routines, but as for myself, I feel like they, the, these kids were certainly the kind of weight of wood in the back of my own personal truck where they gave me, they gave me a lot of like responsibility maybe even a little bit more than I was certainly way more than I was ready for when we got it. Um, and I'm still actually adjusting to that, but I do believe that because of that, I was able to, in a lot of ways, like the truck get traction in the snow towards my goals. I was able to start writing, start moving forward, have much clearer priorities, stop wasting my time. Um, so I, 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 as weird as it sounds, and a lot of people like, are like, how have you been able to do all this with your foster kids? Cause at the time I was the top writer in the world on medium and stuff like that. When you met me, I actually attributed a lot of my success to them because they gave me that traction. Yeah. And I think so many times in society, we think that we want less pressure. We want all the time in the world. We want, you know, less expectations of us, but really I love that analogy because it's so visual to think about that weight being put in the back of the truck. And if that's your life, what is it like if you're not in situations where you're not expected to perform or you're not setting yourself up to have high expectations that would inspire you to perform at a higher level. So love that. Thanks for adding the context and sharing the story about your kids. I think it's incredible that you went through that entire battle and you know, you went from zero to five kids. I can only imagine how crazy that was. One last question I want to ask before we dive into the gap and the gain, going back a little bit earlier, kind of like a little bit earlier before you were in 2018. Um, sometimes when I read a book, I like to skip to the acknowledgements at the end. And two things that you said in your acknowledgements is you, you thanked your mom, Susan Knight, for, for helping you to read your books out loud and, and help you make that happen. You also thanked your dad uh, for being an example of somebody who has continued to grow and progress regardless of what's happened in the past. And then also in the conclusion of the book, you talked about how you were kind of measuring all your gains. I thought this was a powerful conclusion. You talked about this story about when you were 10 years old, you saw your parents fight and you came home and you saw your dad crying and say, she's gone, Ben, she's not coming back. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about this story, because I think this also sets us up as to who you really are and what you came from. So I would love to hear that story and then how you handled that and you know, kind of where you're at now. Um, my dad is one of my closest friends, an amazing guy, someone who I'm very close with. When my parents got divorced when I was 11 years old, um, the divorce was, it really did rock my dad, you know, as I, as you just quoted, you know, when I came home from school, you know, he was not expecting it fundamentally. He was not expecting my, my mom to leave and it, it hit him like a ton of bricks and ultimately led him into a path of addiction where he was pretty much doing anything and everything you could list, you know? So like one room, me and my friends are sitting And this went, this, this, this lasted for multiple years, like basically all through my junior high and high school years. Uh, and it just progressively got worse. But, you know, me and my friends could be playing World of Warcraft in one room. And, you know, in the next room over, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on with a lot of crazy people as far as drugs. Um, 
And so, yeah, I mean, it, it was a dark place, a dark era for quite a while. So I, what you, I, what set you on the path of going from that environment to really kind of clicking to actually make the shift to head towards the path that you've been able to do right now? Yeah. So, I mean, certainly while I was in junior high and high school, it's not like I was some success. I barely graduated from high school. Um, I was in a, I was in a chaotic environment. And so I was kind of in a fight or flight state where I just didn't have a lot of traction, but I will say, and I, and you know, so Victor Frankl is someone who's very important to me. Victor Frankl wrote the book, Man's Search for Meaning. It's a book that's a book that I, I will never stop studying. But one of the things that Victor Frankl talks about in the book, Man's Search for Meaning, is that um, basically when, when, so he was, a, he was one of like the victims or one of the prisoners in the Nazi concentration camps. He was Jewish. And so this was during World War II. He was also a psychologist. But basically what he saw, and this was kind of his core thesis, is, is that if a person loses a sense of purpose towards their future, then their present becomes meaningless. Um, and so the pain of the present just becomes too difficult if it's not connected to some future. And that there's actually a lot of research on this when it comes to meaning that the present, the present has no meaning unless it's connected to some future. Yes, you can love the present. Yes, you can, you know, when it comes to like being engaged in the process, which a lot of people talk about, it's really good, but the process or the present loses meaning unless it's connected to some future. Um, and so that's what, what, uh, Frankl found is that when people lost a sense of hope and, or a loss of purpose in their future, then, then the present stopped making any sense. It became too painful and they ended up dying. Um, and so he himself said that the reason he was able to handle the stresses and the struggles of being a concentration camp survivor is because he actually was connected to a purpose. He felt like life was demanding or life was asking him or wanted him or his future self wanted him to ultimately write books. He really wanted to write certain books after his experience. And so he felt like that purpose allowed him to, to actually not give up in the present and stuff like that. And so for myself, when I go back and reflect on like, because what like all the research shows, like your connection emotionally to your future self really determines the quality of the decisions you make here and now, but it also enables you to have grit, you know, like hope as an example is the foundation of grit. You can't have grit without hope. Um, you can't have motivation without hope either. Cause if you don't have hope or like some form of purpose, you're not gonna be motivated. Um, and so for me, when I was thinking, like literally when I'm just thinking about it, there was something that I really felt I wanted to do. And that was for myself, serve a church mission. Like, I just really wanted to do that. That was something that maybe had been planted in me when I was a little kid, like literally could have been young, but it was still something that like, I felt like if I did that, I would go a great direction in my life. And so because I had that, even though there was periods, like when I was like 16, 17 years old, where I'm like, that's just not going to happen anymore. It was still always in the back of my head. Like I felt like, I felt like if I felt like I really wanted to do that thing, you know, I just wanted to go do that when I was like 20 years old. And so because that was there in my head, it, I feel like it enabled me to navigate my present context, everything going on around me. It allowed me to not throw in the towel on certain things. And I think, I honestly think I would not have graduated from high school if that wasn't something that was in my head, like that. I want to, I do want to go do that thing. Like, even though my life's nuts right now, even though, you know, there's everything's going on. Like that thing was in my head. And uh, actually literally if, if I can, I'm just going to share uh, two quotes from Frankel. This is literally what Victor Frankel said. He said, those who lose the connection. Oh, actually, no, I'm just going to read this one. 
He said the prisoner who had lost faith in the future, his future was doomed. With this loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold. He let himself decline and become subject to mental and physical decay. So, um, you know, that's, I think, what helped me to get through that. Then once I actually decided to actually go on that mission, it was through that experience, being in a totally different environment, getting totally different transformation that kind of opened me up to... I want to study psychology. I want to become a writer. And that, that gave me some skills and capabilities and perspectives to go and pursue a path. And then obviously since then the last 11, 12 years, it's just been a lot of investment, a lot of um, deliberate practice, a lot of learning, you know, getting a PhD, reading thousands of books, you know, getting mentoring. So from there, it's just been a ton of investment in myself and in my future self. So beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And I think I texted you a while ago and I was, I was trying to remember a term that you would kind of share with me. And I think the term was uh, transitional character or transformational character. It has to do with like breaking ties um, for future generations. And it was just so cool to see how you've come from that to adopting kids that were also in almost similar circumstances as you were as a kid and really just breaking that cycle and just, and now you have this beautiful family. So I just thank you so much for sharing that. I love the whole context. And, and, and if we're going to, there's literally not enough time in the world to, to cover all the incredible content that Ben puts out all the time on his YouTube on, on medium, I would highly recommend anybody check out willpower doesn't work or personality is impermanent, all that kind of stuff. But the newest book that I would love to dive into Ben and kind of talk about all these concepts together is the gap and the gain is your most recent one. And, uh, so I thought maybe a a good start would be, I know you co-wrote this, uh, with, or this is Dan Sullivan's concept. And I think probably the most simplest way to start would just be to talk about, um, an overview of the gap in the gain by maybe talking about measurement and, and how our happiness is dependent on the way that we measure. Absolutely. Uh, and I do want to just slightly close the loop on my dad. So I will yeah, just sure. quickly say, uh, and then I'll go straight into the gap in the gain. Uh, my dad, one thing that's important, and this is a gap and gain idea is, and I actually wrote about the gap in the gain and personalities and permanent. And I think I was literally talking about my dad in that part of the book. Um, but when I decided to get preparing to go on that church mission, when I was like 19, 20 years old, I started to reconnect with my dad. Uh, and actually in the book, the body keeps the score, which is all about trauma. It might be the body keeps the score. It might be some other book, but it talks about how like a person's relationship with their parents is a huge indicator of their mental well-being and also like where they're going. And a lot of people who have resentment towards their parents for whatever reasons are going to have psychological issues. <laughs> so I'm just, it, it's just a reality. And so it is interesting that I started developing, you know, forgiveness for my father right before I left and started to like rebuild that. And then I left for a few years, but while I was gone, he did really get help start overcoming his addictions. By the time I came back, he was totally sober. Um, and he was even doing like group sessions, like almost like AA sessions, like helping other people. And he's, sober now. He's amazing now. And I think what, what's important, and this is a big gap in gain idea. Number one, no one, you know, anyone who's listening to this podcast, no one is the same person they were one year ago, three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Like we're, we're different people. We've grown, we've evolved. We live in a different world. You know, I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago, 10 years ago. I was, you know, just starting college, was not married, had no kids. I didn't even at that point in time, if you would have asked me what my goals were, certainly would have never been to become an entrepreneur. You know, like I did want to write books, but they were even totally different books than the type of books I'm writing. Um, Like just the world I'm living in, my mental models, how I navigate life. Like I'm just not, not the same person I was and no one is. And so being in the gain 
as a starting point is about measuring yourself against your former self and recognizing and appreciating your growth and progress along the way. And it doesn't have to be 10 years. You know, that's just a, a good timeline. It could be what's the gain and how am I different from my former self two days ago? And if you're someone who's, you know, investing in yourself, learning and growing, you will be able to see gains um, and you can create gains. A lot of it's that you, ch- you choose whatever lens you look at an experience and being in the gain allows you to look at an experience and actually get gains. Um, but I'm certainly in the gain about my dad. Um, I can see that he's not the person he was 10, 20 years ago. He has made big gains and I'm certainly not going to judge his current self based on where his former self was. I'm actually instead going to be freaking blown away by his gains and recognize that he is not the same person he used to be. And I, just as a funny idea, you know, and I don't want to go down political, but we do live in a cancel culture, you know, where people, um, they, they angrily judge people based on their former acts when the truth is, is that they're not their former selves. They're different people. And so it, it is an interesting, and I'm not really a super political guy, but I just think that's pretty interesting that we're so we're so intolerant of people's former selves um, rather than recognizing that their current selves are different and that their future selves will be different. Um, but anyways, when it comes to the gap in the game, you're dead on. It is really about how you measure yourself. We as human beings are always measuring things. Um, and as, as the main idea here is this, and this is why Dan came up with the concept. So Dan is the founder of Strategic Coach. It's been around for like four, literally like 40 years he is 77 years old himself and people in strategic coach, they have to have businesses that are generating at least $500,000 a year. Not, not, and like, that's like not revenue. That's like after revenue. Like that's, they have to be making good money. Um, and like, that's at the low end, you know, there's people who have billion dollar companies in strategic coach. And so Basically, the idea is, is that Dan, at some point or another, and this was back 25 years ago, recognized that there was a theme that he noticed within his entrepreneurs. And that's no matter how much they had accomplished, no matter what they were doing as a recurring issue or as a recurring theme, most of them were not happy with their progress. It doesn't matter that their company or their business was doing two, three, four X, what they'd ever done any year before. He noticed that despite their progress, they often just felt like they, 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 weren't, they weren't happy with their progress because they felt like they could have been further, should have been further, could have been doing more. And so that's when he ultimately got to the idea of the gap, um, which was that you're in the gap if you're constantly measuring yourself against your ideals, where you would ideally like to be. And that's actually back to me with Willpower Doesn't Work. That's where I was. Um, when I launched Willpower Doesn't Work, it didn't hit the New York Times bestseller list, which is what was my ideal outcome. And so because it didn't hit that, I felt like the whole thing was a failure. And I was honestly depressed for months after that. Um, and it's because I was measuring my experience the wrong way. I was measuring myself against an ideal rather than measuring my own progress, which was measuring myself against where I was before. The truth was in that case, I did launch my first book. It did sell tens of thousands of copies. Like those are measurable, tangible things. And they are true. And, and it was progress. And, and so the gain is where you're just measuring your progress backwards. The gap is when you're measuring um, your current self against where you would ideally like to be. And the reason, you know, and you will go back and forth, you slam me whatever directions you want to go, Brandon. But the reason measuring yourself against ideals is unhealthy is because your ideals will never stop growing. They'll never stop moving. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's good to have ideals. It's good to have a future self. It's good to have goals. It's good to be excited and be, be driving towards your future. The problem 
becomes that when you're measuring yourself against your ideals, which are constantly out of reach, um, they're like the horizon in the desert, as we describe, it doesn't matter how fast you sprint towards the horizon, it's going to stay out of reach. You're always undervaluing your current position and undervaluing everything you've done before, which has no, it's what makes you unhappy. It's literally what makes you feel like a loser, even if you're literally living your dreams. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I want to highlight this because this is some, this has been a theme that has come up on the show. I hadn't, the first instance of this that comes up is I had an Olympian on and she was talking about the issues, a Olympic figure skater, Polina Edmonds, and she was the youngest uh, figure skater in the 2014 Sochi Olympics. And basically she was talking about how important it is to not compare yourself to others. I feel like many of us have heard that concept of not comparing, but why I think the gain and the gap is so strong. And this comes from another guest we've had on the show. His name is Blair Dunkley. He talks about this concept of naming and labeling that the moment that you can actually name and label uh, something that is externally verifiable, like, oh, I'm in the gap or, oh, I'm in the gain. You can actually point at it and, and it makes it much more manageable than if it's like, uh, just a concept that we all know that we should be not comparing. Um, and so being able to identify that is very valuable. And another thing I would love to clarify with you, Ben, and I think this is a, kind of like a fallacy that that I've had in the past. So I know it's something that m- other people might be thinking about is that the goal is not to eliminate being in the gap. There is no such thing as never being in the gap. And uh, our mutual friend, Ben, has also been on the show, Jason Campbell. And I was talking with him the other the other day. And Jason was this meditation expert for those of or he's a Zen Kung Fu guy. He's, he's awesome. Uh, but he's talking about how, like, there is no such thing as being always happy. Right. Like there is no such thing as as if there was only happiness, there is no such thing as only happiness. You have to have anger and sad and frustration in order for you to create and experience happiness. So is it accurate to say, Ben, that the goal is not to eliminate the gap, but rather to just recover as quickly as possible when you identify that you've been in, in the gap? Yeah, I think that the gap, I think you can eliminate aspects of the gap. Like you can eliminate, Mm. although it's, Trying to be out of the gap all the time is actually an impossible ideal. That's actually what would put you into the gap is trying to be perfect. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I, I agree with you that the goal is not to entirely eliminate the gap, but the goal is actually to create as many gains as possible. So like mm-hmm. as an example, you know, you can, you can be, you can notice a gap in something. You can be frustrated by something, but it's not going to actually move forward until you start turning that thing into a gain. You know, like once you actually, rather than just resenting it or wishing that thing hadn't happened, it could be anything, your business fails, or just, you see some area in society that you're not really stoked about. If you stay in the gap, the only thing you're doing is pointing out why you think it's wrong. And you're just pointing out why you think it's, it's not what it should be. Cool. Awesome. Be a complainer. That's great. Um, the only way that the gap becomes useful is if it points out where you can then turn that gap into gains, you know, like how can you actually, okay. So you're frustrated by something in your own life or frustrated by something in society rather than continuing to just be upset about it. How can you take that and then turn it into something good so that now you're no longer frustrated about it, but you're actually now grateful for it because it's the, it, it was the facilitator of growth. It was the thing that led to change in a positive way. And so, yeah, I I think that, I think you kind of summed it up well. Awesome. So there's, there's, so what I'd like to do from this point then is I I think we're starting to get a picture of the, the gap and the gain. I would love to talk a little bit more about 
the the cost. I think the way you put this inside of the book is like the compound effect of being in the gap or the gain, like what it means to to stay in that. Um, so I would love to just kind of set that up, and then we can talk about ways that we can count more gains or identify more games or be more in the game. So I would love to start by talking about like what I said, the cost of being in there. And I know you talk a lot about epigenetics. And so I would love for you to kind of maybe share some of the impacts of the being in the gap or being in the game from the perspective of epigenetics. Totally. So just to reinforce to people, the idea that the gap is when you, you literally, we all can, we all see the world a certain way and you train yourself how you see the world. And there's a lot of people who the, you know, the only thing that they see is what went wrong or what could have been better. Um, You know, and we all do that intermittently, but Anyways, the, the point is, is if you're constantly frustrated or upset, or if you're constantly measuring your situation against ideals, then you're constantly devaluing and kind of putting unnecessary pain on yourself. Like, let me give an example. Um, like this would be an example of someone perpetually in the gap, right? So, um, you know, as an example, my kids, like, I'm not saying that they're perpetually in the gap, but I'm just gonna give an example of what it would look like if they were. And sometimes often they are in the gap. Um, and I'm often in the gap about them and working on that. But like, let's just say it's my son's birthday and like his friends all bring a bunch of presents and he opens them all up and quickly he's like, well, I didn't get what I wanted. Like, you know, so like now it doesn't matter what presents he's got because none of them are good enough because in his mind, he didn't get what he wanted, you know? And then we, we go to some party and stuff like that. And Ultimately, it's just him. No, it's like nothing is good enough because he's only measuring it against what it should have been. Um, and and you see that, you know. And so the point is, is that if you're always in the gap, not only are you just making your own life miserable because you're always measuring what is against what you thought it should be. Um, and if you're constantly feeling miserable, it, it's just creating an it's a, it's essentially creating a stress environment in your system. Um, and and so it's just it's just unhealthy to constantly feel like you're losing or feel let down by life or, or, you know, (laughs) gratitude is very healing. Gratitude is a very healing perspective. Um, and the gain is really about, it's, it's not just about like accepting what is, um, but it's not a, but, but you don't have to torture yourself because what is, isn't what it ideally could have been. I mean, I can, I can go home and I could in my ideal head, have a perfectly clean house with perfectly happy kids. Um, and if I go home and it's not that, and, and now I'm just upset at, at life and upset at myself, um, I'm just making my life hell, you know? Um, and the, I guess the one study that I cite, I mean, I cite, I cite a lot of interesting research in that section. Um, but the one that really I think is interesting is the, the nun study where basically, um, you know, there were these nuns that were followed for literally I think like 70, 80 years. And basically what they found was, is that the happier nuns lived at least 10 years longer on average. And that most of the unhappy nuns, um, they died much sooner. And the point was, is that all of these same nuns were having the same experience, but basically how they were mentally framing those experiences, the people who were framing them in a negative manner in the gap, the, the, the impact of the exact same experiences was just slight, it was like micro trauma after micro trauma. It's like, if two people are in a, let's just call it in a classroom and one of them is in the gain about it, you know, it may not be their favorite teacher, but they're actually like looking for ways in which they're glad that they're there and that they're actually getting something out of it. 
may not be what they exactly wanted, but they're actually getting something out of it and they're framing it as a positive versus the student that's just, why is this teacher doing this X, Y, and Z? Like the same experience is being coded and one of them is literally damaging them, you know, and that, that kind of stuff actually has a, a physical effect. It's not just like it's mental, like it's literally wearing you down. It's exhausting. It's depleting you because whatever stress and view you have, like it's happening throughout your body. And so if you're constantly measuring things against the ideal, um, I mean, it's just, it's just going to break you down and, and, and nothing's ever enough versus everything I'm doing is moving me forward. Everything I'm doing is helping me. Everything I'm doing, I can get better at like being in the game just boosts you forward. And it's the same experiences, but you're getting way more out of them. Yeah. It's so crazy. And I love the examples and all the research that you study in the book. I think I love the nun one. The other one that I thought was just mind blowing was when you cited about the hotel house housekeepers, essentially like these people were all doing the same work, but one group was told that they were getting health benefits from their job and the other one wasn't. And the group that was told it just because the way that they framed it again, gap versus gain, they were able to actually see physical transformation. So I think that's really important for us to understand how important it is to transition experiences into more gap. So, or more gain, sorry. So now that we've talked kind of like what this really means, we've set the foundation. I would love to kind of start transitioning over, you know, you have your book broken up into two parts. Part one is getting out of the gap and part two is getting into the game. So now we want to know, okay, how do we get into game? What are some ways that we can actually start getting into the game? So you give lots of different examples of of how we can do this, but I thought it'd be cool to kind of give some people some homework uh, or some tangible exercises that can go about starting to measure more effective gains in their life. So um, there's a lot that we could pick from that I'm going through kind of my, my, my list right here, but um, which one stuck I, out to you most, Brandon, which one stuck out to you most personally? Yeah. Um, I think the, um, the mental subtraction one was actually really interesting and one that I hadn't ever heard of. So we'd love for you to share that practice of mental subtraction and maybe we can go with some of the other ones afterwards too. Yeah. So this is a really interesting thing. So basically one of the big ideas in like positive psychology slash happiness research is that one of the key problems or the, 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 the biggest challenge for people being happy is what they call the hedonic treadmill. And the hedonic treadmill is the idea that no matter how much better your life gets, you know, even if you got exactly what you wanted, you know, we as human beings so quickly adapt to our current context and then our ideals advance So like, it doesn't matter as an example, my kids being taken from abject poverty and put into a a great environment, honestly, Uh, it's, it's, you know, obviously their perspective matters a lot, but you quickly adapt to what you've got. You go from poverty to like relative abundance, but now all of a sudden that becomes your norm. And so because it's your norm, now it's like, it's no longer making you happy. And you're just like, you just, you want something else now, you know, you marry your dream girl. And now all of a sudden, like, you know, how many people, they just quickly get bored or they just take their current situation for granted because you've just adapted to it. And so now your mind goes other places. And so uh, hedonic adaptation can really stop people from being happy. And so basically what the researchers did was they wanted to ask them, they, they basically asked themselves, how do we unadapt to the positive progress in our lives? Or how do we unadapt to the good things that we're just, (laughs) and so that's what ultimately led them to mental subtraction is just actually taking time to 
genuinely mentally think about something important in your life as if it was immediately taken away from you. Um, interestingly, we actually went through this with my son last night, who's 14. Um, and so we, I'm actually having him go through the mental subtraction exercise right now, but we're like, all right, let's just, just imagine that something important in your life, you immediately lost it. And he had a hard time, honestly, thinking about something. I'm like, all right, he's really into tennis. And so I'm like, all right, Caleb, well, let's just imagine for a minute that, you know, tonight you got hit by a car or something like that. And you, your legs were gone for the rest of your life. You're paralyzed. Like, what would it feel like if you no longer could run, walk, do anything. If your legs, if your legs were gone, essentially for the rest of your life, like how would that feel? That's a little bit of mental subtraction. Just thinking about what if something in your life that you're overly adapted to, you're just used to it, could be anything, is now immediately taken from you. Subtract it. And, how, and now you have to think about what's the emotional impact of actually that thing now being gone. And it took him a second. I mean, he's 14. You and I, we could really deeply more consider like, okay, what if I actually lost my legs? <laughs> um, how would that feel? What would that change about my life? Um, stuff like that. You could think about it in other terms as well. Like what if, what if your wife literally got hit by a car today and she died? Um, like how would it feel if she was no longer here? Um, you can think about it in, in physical terms as well. You can also actually think about mental subtraction in terms of even achievements. Like what if, all of a sudden, like I lost all of my like knowledge and psychology, right? Like that I'd worked dec you know, over a decade to learn, like, what if it was just taken from me? And all of a sudden I don't have that knowledge anymore. Or what if I lost, you know, you could just, and the idea of it is just, how does it feel now that that thing's gone? Um, how do you feel about it now that it's here? It is obviously a gain. And how do you more fully appreciate it? And how, you know, it just unadapts you to, to, uh, to the hedonic treadmill. And it's just, it, it is an easy method for recognizing the gains in your life that are there, the people in your life, the, the skills, all the, all the amazing things going on in your world that you're not even appreciating or paying attention to. It's just a nice mental process for mm -hmm. re-remembering and re, re-appreciating, re-acknowledging. And this, the research on it's very clear. It's one of actually the, the best tools for improving happiness, improving relationship satisfaction, improving gratitude. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a very powerful tool. Yeah. And I don't necessarily like to, that's why it was kind of like shocking to me. It's like, I don't necessarily like to think about this kind of stuff, but obviously it makes you really, it brings it all automatically into perspective. I love the example you gave in the book too. I think it, you're talking about potty training your kids, you know, it's like, yeah, you don't celebrate every time that you and I go to the bathroom, we don't celebrate that we went to the bathroom anymore. But at one point that was a massive gain. And that was something that we should have absolutely responded to. But like, obviously you're not going to do mental subtraction. Well, I mean, I guess you could to, to think about what it was like to not be able to go to the bathroom anymore. You can be grateful for it. But I thought that was a, a great way for anybody that does any journaling practice, which I would highly encourage that you can kind of leverage this as a way to shake things up with your gratitude and acceptance practice by bringing in this component of what would it be like if you lost things. So, so that is cool. Another tool that I wanted to give people, Ben, and this is a concept that kind of comes from the strategic coach world, but um, let's say something bad does happen um, and we want to turn it, go from being in the gap and turn it into the gain. One of the tools that you talk about inside the book is the experience transformer. So we'd love for you to share a little bit about how we can use this tool to really take things from a negative situation to a positive one. Yeah, this is a this is a really cool concept. So, what, basically, the idea is this: as humans, we we approach 
experiences in one of two ways. I actually think that as a rule, most people um, are taught that their experiences determine how they feel, right? So like as an example, um, I, I, my business fails or something like that or something way worse happens, you know, something bad happens. My, my dad becomes a drug addict, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, something happens that wasn't necessarily planned, isn't necessarily desired for, for a lot of us. What we think is, is that whatever happens shapes who we are. We're the byproduct of our experience. Um, and so the experience is essentially the driver. We're the passenger. And, you know, if something bad happens, my house gets robbed as an example, like my life sucks. Like, why did that happen to me? You know, like, so that's, that's one way of looking at experiences is that an event happens or something occurs and you're just the byproduct of what happens. Uh, and that, that, that kind of thinking and that kind of way of looking at experiences does lead to traumas because certainly many things in life occur that you wouldn't have predicted or wouldn't have wanted to occur. Um, the other approach. So, and when you're in the gap, what you're doing is, is you're comparing or measuring your experience either against someone else's experiences. You know, I use the example of one of my close friends whose child literally died and they were in the gap about that. You know, they they were, their baby was born with various illnesses and it, and it died. And for a while they were like, why did this happen to us? You know, like, and they have friends who had kids who didn't have that. And it's like, well, why didn't, why, why did that happen to us and not to someone else? You know what I mean? And so when you're in the gap, really you're measuring your experience against what you think should have happened, or you're comparing your experience to someone else. And so when you're in the, when you're in the gain, and this kind of has a lot to do with transforming experiences, rather than comparing your experiences, you're actually transforming them over and over and over again. Um, your experiences are like raw material. Like as an example, you know, like I have no access to your experiences, Brandon, even in this conversation, you're having your own experience and I'm having my own experience. Um, I can never actually get to your experience of this call or in your past. Like no one has access to your experiences. No one has access to my experiences. No one has access to my past. No one has access to your past. And so the, so the question then becomes, rather than being the passenger of your experiences, you can become the driver and you can actually shape your experiences. You can transform them. You can mold them. You can change them. Um, and transforming your experiences is about ultimately increasing their value, getting more and more value out of the experience. You know, you, you can acknowledge that certain things you don't like or that you didn't, you know, you wouldn't want to repeat that, that that's fine. You, that's actually good. That's pulling information from the experience and saying, okay, because that happened, I know that I, I don't really want more of that. You know, like that's actually phenomenal experience and that's phenomenal uh, information, but you can also say, you know, what about that experience uh, taught me something? I mean, being in the gain is about taking an experience and squeezing as much juice out of it as possible. You know, so even if something didn't go as planned, well, what did you learn as a result? How can you be better? Um, how are you further along? And that's really where you can really get into the gain and you can go back over and over again. I mean, I, I, I've reshaped the meaning of my parent, my parents' divorce, my dad's being a drug addict. I've reshaped that over and over and over again. And the cool part about memory is really, it's always a reconstruction from the present. And so like the current version of me has, has information, tools, ideas that I can then kind of inject upon that experience just to get further and further education of it. I'm certain I would not have written the gap in the game if I hadn't have gone through my childhood experiences. And so it, it was a gain. Like there's, 
And you can know that you've gotten post-traumatic growth because you can look back on an experience. You First off, you've gotten value out of it. You know you're in the gap if you think an experience has zero value. There was, There's nothing I can get out of that. I'm just worse off. Um, it shouldn't have happened. Whereas when you're in the gain, you're like, okay, wh- why can I be better because this experience happened? Why can I be further along in important ways because of this? How can I be better? Um, and so that's post-traumatic growth. You're actually glad it happened. And I can directly say, I'm glad what my childhood, I'm, f- I'm phenomenally grateful for my childhood. Uh, and there's ongoing gains. The gains just keep coming because of those experiences. It's not like you just get, a, you know, it's not like you just get gains once. The gains are compounding from those same experiences. They're just, they're almost like a treasure chest that keeps getting wider and wider and just providing more and more value as I keep going backwards. And that's me transforming my experience over and over and over again. And I'm the only one who gets to decide what that experience means. Yeah. So there's some homework for you listening right now. Are you, as Ben puts it in the book, are you looking for meaning or are you creating the meaning after going through the situation? So I'll just, cause I have the questions right in front of me right now. So if let's just say over the past week, you went through something, it was not an experience that you enjoyed. You're kind of in your head about it. Take out your journal, ask yourself these questions. These come directly from the book. What about this experience worked for you? That's one question. What use can you get from this experience to improve your future? What can you learn from this experience about what you don't want? Knowing what you know now, because you've had this experience, how will you approach your future differently? And then what about this experience are you grateful for? So just imagine the next time you had a situation, if you just instead, I mean, obviously let yourself feel it for a little bit. uh, But once you once you're ready to process it, just look at this as a tool that you now have in your back pocket that you can whip out your journal and really pull out the juice of what this really means and how you can actually go forward. And like Ben was just talking about, like your past is not a fixed thing. This is something that you can absolutely mold and anybody is better off. I believe in, in doing the work myself. I've just, that's been a massively valuable thing to be able to have that tools toolkit to transform an experience. So, um, Thank you so much for that, Ben. I know we're kind of running up out of time. So I figured we kind of go through maybe one more exercise so people can really understand another way they can apply this. Um, and again, I know you're a huge journaler and you have all these uh, processes for, for journaling. And one of the things I thought was really powerful and I am absolutely going to implement in my journaling process is essentially training yourself to see the gain by persuading yourself before you start to journal. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about the the questions that you answer whenever you start a new journal and how you leverage that Mm -hmm. to set yourself up Mm -hmm. for the right direction. That's really cool. Um, Yeah. So persuasion, by the way, just uh, to give this to people, brilliant book on this by Robert Cialdini, but the idea of persuasion is, is that what you see first influences how you interpret what comes next, you know? So, you know, I'm trying to think of an example of persuasion. It it could just be, for example, like, you know, you're watching a commercial and they show you something that like gets you feeling really excited or feeling really good. And then they show you what they're trying to sell you. And it's like, because of how you kind of framed it, actually a really good example is this in um, like when you're in college, there's a, a website called rate my professors. I don't know if you've ever heard of rate my professors. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so they've actually done research. They've done research on this and and they've made phony accounts for people like where they'll, they'll make the same professor category. Um, no, the same professor and they'll, they'll make one of the like profiles have all these bad ratings. Oh, this professor is the worst. They give all this homework. They're the worst teacher you'll ever have. 
And then they'll, they'll make another profile. It's like, this is the most amazing professor. You know, they're so listening, so caring. It's actually really easy. Like you'll, you'll get an easy A. Obviously it's the same professor, but then they'll give half the students, you know, one framing and half the students, the other framing. And uh, then they'll just, and literally because of that framing, that's what the students see and experience throughout the semester, like literally. And then they'll follow up after and be like, what was your take on your professor without telling them that they were pre-framed. And like at the end of the semester, their reviews correlate with the framing that they got. The ones who got the good framing, they're like, oh, it's such an amazing teacher. It was such an easy class, you know, whereas these ones were like, worst class I've ever taken. You know what I mean? So (laughs) (laughs) that's just the idea of, um, you know, being aware that you're being pre-framed all the time for how you see something. Anyways, um, so I, I, I'll just carry my journals with me all the time. But as, as was described, I have questions in the front of my journals um, that I answer. And I usually go through, you know, a journal every 20 to 30 days. Um, and it's not like I'm really like small writing, lighting, writing every line. Like my journals have crazy pictures on them. Like they're, they're trash, you know, I mean, they do have a lot of writing in them. Um, but the questions I ask myself in the front of my journals are awesome. And I've been doing this for years and it allows me to get a quick snapshot of where I'm at so that I can quickly, um, just see what's important to me. So the, the questions are, where am I right now? And uh, I just have like five bullet points just describing my current situation. It could be like what I'm working on right now. For like example, I'm in the middle of writing a book. Um, you know, I just completed the gap in the game launch with something I wrote on this one. Um, focusing on my three older kids. Like I just literally like write what's going on in my world right now. Where am I at right now? The second question is what are my wins from the last 90 days? And this is just bullets, you know, of like, what are the, what are the things that I perceive as progress in my life, whether it be business or personal life? Um, I even wrote on this one, Caleb won his first, his, his first, oh, Caleb won first place in his last two tennis tournaments. Like I literally wrote that as one of my wins. You know what I mean? Like that's my oldest son. Um, and so I just wrote what I see to be progress that I've made in my personal and business life in the last 90 days. The third question is what are the wins that I want for my next 90 days? You know, this is just like literally again, like five bullet points. What are the, what is the progress that I want to get in the next 90 days? The fourth question is 12 months from now, who's my future self? Like what are the three most important outcomes? And so I just write down the three things that I want to see happen. And then the last question is 36 months. Who's my future self in three years? And it's just three outcomes. What are the three most important wins that I want to get in the next three years? And so, you know, I open up my journal when I'm getting ready to write in the morning and I just look at that, you know, and it just allows me to like re re get back into the state of here's where I'm at. And also it's interesting because as like a few weeks go by and I look at where am I now, like I can already see that I'm in a different place than I was when I started the journal. So I can already get right into the game. I'm like, Oh, I'm actually in a different place than I was a week ago when I started this journal. Uh, but then you just can look at your wins, see that you're prog- you are making progress. Um, and then it just clarifies your future self. And so that's kind of how I pre-frame myself or get myself into the right lens for then journaling. Some more homework for you guys, man. So we have, so we have so much, we talked about, uh, subtraction, mental subtraction as a tool that you can use to get more into the game. 
We've talked about how you can use the persuasion. Where am I right now? What are my wins for the last 90 days? What are the wins I want for the next 90 days? Where do you want to be in 12 months? Where do you want to be in three years? Use that as a, as a persuasion. And like, if you, if you want more of these tools that are really actionable, go read the book. Cause like this, like this conversation, obviously we haven't even covered it. We also talked about the experience transformer. If you want to transform a terrible experience into something positive, those are all concrete ways that you can transform a situation and really move into you know, the, the component of us being able to have healthier and happier lives, as we talked about with epigenetics as well. It's like, this is actually changing how your body is expressing its reality. So all crazy things. And I know I just did that recap, but like, there's, there's just one question that I, I put in as a yeah, note no, go ahead, sure to ask you this, Ben. Yeah, do it. Um, so, so this one is, this one is interesting because I feel like lots of entrepreneurs, I guess people in general really, really deal with this. And th- that is like, we've talked a lot from the, the, the perspective of measuring against an ideal for ourselves and that creates unhappiness. But another thing that, and I, I didn't really see this covered in the books. That's why I was really interested in asking is like, we're very, um, we, we often do that for other people as well, right? Like we have another relationship and we may think that there's an ideal for how that relationship could be. And you kind of project it onto someone else. So if that's the case and you find yourself doing that, where you feel like you have an ideal for a relationship, what are some insights you might have that, that could strengthen that and make it so that you're, you're out of the gap for a relationship and bring you back into a game with, with people that are closer in your life? Yeah, that's awesome. I like the idea of being in the gap about the relationship. We, uh, we do cover in the book about being in the gap about others. Um, I specifically talk a lot about me going into the gap about my kids, but I can go into the gap about myself go in the gap about my wife, where I'm thinking like, why isn't she being, you know, who I think she should be, you know? Um, and so when you're in the gap about anything, you're measuring it against what you ideally want it to be. And there's nothing wrong again with having ideals, but if you're always measuring what is against the ideal, then you're radically devaluing what is. Mm-hmm. And so it's always good to actually measure what is against what was. Um, so as an example, you know, taking time for me to think about like, where's my relationship right now with my daughter who's 12 versus where it was when she was 10, you know, like two Mm -hmm. years, you know, and and it's important. This one's important to me just because me and this daughter specifically have had kind of a, a, like a friction style relationship, honestly, ever since we've had them. Um, And if I'm in the gain about her and about my relationship, I'm looking for the ways in which it's getting better. I'm looking for the ways in which it's making progress. That doesn't mean it's perfect. Clearly, I'm excited about making bigger gains in my future. I believe that my future self will have made massive gains that my current self hasn't. And so I'm not pretending it's exactly how I want it to be. I'm just actually measuring it against where it was before and looking specifically for the ways in which it has gone forward. You know, how has it advanced? How is it beyond where it was before? Um, And I think that being in the gain just actually allows you to more fully comprehend where you're currently at. Because if you're always measuring yourself against the ideal, you have a hard time actually assessing your current position because your current position is just so devalued because you're looking at what you think it should be versus what actually is it and what is it versus where it was it was before. So um, I just think it's important to actually recognize where you're at right now versus where you were before. What are the ways in which you have advanced? And then from an experience transformer perspective, based on that, well, where would you like to create more gains? It's totally yeah. fine to want to create more gains. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with making improvements in your life. Like I want to make gains all over the place in my life. I'm stoked on that. Um, but I'm, but I'm in the gain about it. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm stoked about those gains and I'm, I'm not, I'm not angry at myself for where I'm at. I'm not mad at myself even that my relationship with my daughter isn't perfect. You know, like 
um, I'm in the gain about it. And I know I'm going to go make more gains. And if I was in the gap about it, I'd feel like a failure as a father, or I'd be mad at her or something like that. Instead, it's just like, okay, like I'm making progress. I'm moving forward. I know my mm-hmm. future self's going to be different and I want to make more gains. So, yeah. um, I, I don't know if, what's your reaction to that or do you have any no, follow-up that, questions? That's, that's that? huge. It, that's huge. And I like, I printed out the the picture I'm holding up with showing Ben, like the, the, the diagram in the gap in the game that I like, I don't have any tattoos, but I literally had the thought, I'm like, if I had a tattoo, this would be a good reminder <laughs> to just like constantly make sure that you are measuring yourself against the starting point. Cause like I asked that question sincerely and then immediately forgot that the, the answer is already held in the, the diagram. <laughs> so like um, super powerful concept. And thank you so much for bringing it to life. And I, I normally ask the question, like, what does happiness mean to you? But I feel like the whole conversation is, is kind of been revolving around making sure that you are measuring against the progress that you've had in you. And so I've already seen that this is this interview couldn't have come at a more perfect time in my life. I know we had to reschedule a few times, but I read it and like, man, this is the, this is why I got rescheduled is because this is a great opportunity for me to reflect on this. So Ben, where can people find out more about the stuff that you have going on? I know you have another book that's coming out. Talk to us about that. For sure. Yeah. So I would just say anyone who wants to learn more, either read the gap and the gain or listen to it within the audiobook of the gap and the gain are two and a half hours of bonus interviews between me and Dan himself. And we just go so deep. Um, you know, it, read the, uh, you know, read the reviews if you want on Amazon, if you need more context, but go ahead and just read the gap and the gain. Otherwise my website, benjaminhari.com is basically where people can learn more. That's, that's pretty much it. But I, I just point people to the gap and the gain for now. You know, just actually go and dig deep into it, listen to it or read it and uh, just like literally comprehend it and then start getting yourself into the gain a little bit more. Because when you get yourself into the gain, as we've talked about, and I'm glad you went more into the epigenetics direction, uh, I can definitely say I feel healthier when I'm in the gain. Like I feel I'm, there's less pressure that I'm needlessly putting on myself for some reason or another, because I'm not enough. You know, I feel like I've, I've eliminated that enormously from my life. It still comes, it still comes, but I feel like I've eliminated that unnecessary, unhealthy pressure on myself to be more and to hate my current self for some reason or another. And instead I'm in the game, even still making excitingly more gains. Uh, And so I just would invite people to feel the relief of that. It doesn't stop you from having ideals. It doesn't stop you from having a future self. It doesn't stop you from actually making better progress. It just enables you to be healthy in that process and to stop worrying first off about what other people think of that progress, but also uh, it just allows you to get the boost of your past rather than to devalue it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So, so, so great. And I just wanted to take one final second and I want to have a conversation with you listening right now, get into the game with you right listening right now, that it is absolutely an honor to have you hanging out with me and Ben today. And if this is your very first episode, as I said in the beginning, Ben was somebody that stepped in my in, in my journey very early on. And so I'm so grateful to introduce Ben to you and his concepts to you today. So I would highly recommend all of his content. Um, and so that's if you're new or if you're returning, it's an honor to have you hanging out with us every single week. And um, you're absolutely what makes this show possible. And as I always say, if you're new or returning, I have a favor. And that is if you've been impacted by Ben's story today about where he came from, about how big of a heart he has and going from zero to five kids and these crazy experiences and where his background came from, or some of these concepts of being very actionable and how you can get out of the gap and into the game. This can absolutely change someone's life. 
my, my life has absolutely been changed by people that have shared content with me. And I think this is one of those concepts that once somebody has this lens, it's a whole lens that can put on for their entire life. So it's super, super impactful. So if you can share this, it's going to make Ben very happy. It's going to make myself very happy. So thanks so much for tuning in. And Ben, thank you so much for being here, man. This has been a blast. And I'm so glad we were able to finally record a conversation for the world. And I appreciate you, the impact you've had on my life, my friend. Of course. It's been a huge pleasure. You're awesome, man. And uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. Hey, it's Brandon here again, and I have a quick favor to ask before you head off, and that is if you are listening to my voice right now and you are currently using either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would help me a ton if you could stop what you're doing, take five seconds to tap the number of stars that you think the show deserves. So if you're on Spotify, there's a place to add a star rating right underneath the name of the show. And if you're listening on Apple, just scroll down where you're seeing all the episodes and there's something that says tap to rate. Just tap the number of the stars that you think the show deserves. And you may not know this, but I typically spend over five hours of my own time each week just researching a guest on the show. And then there's the time that's spent recording the show, the intro, reaching out to new guests, and of course, all the editing, publishing, promoting that my amazing wife and high school sweetheart, Leah, helps me to manage. So all that to say, there's a lot that goes on just to get to the point where you listen to this episode. So if you appreciate the content and have 10, five to 10 seconds to spare, it would help a ton if you could leave a quick rating on the show. Extra credit if you choose to leave a review, but just tapping whatever stars you feel the show deserves helps a ton and it takes so little time. So whether you choose to do that or not, I so appreciate you and I'll talk with you soon.